Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Right, welcome back. I am actually sitting in the Nixwear office today as they took me in as a homeless podcaster because I am just one of those humans that doesn't have our stuff all together and things happen and things fall apart. And thankfully, they welcomed me into their space so I could podcast with our next guest today, who has been one of my online friends. We're actually under the same manager. Hi, Sam. And we have totally different types of content, but have so connected over some really cool things. And, and one thing I want to kind of preface this entire episode with is you might not be going through or ever go through something that she's gone through, but I'm promising you that one of your friends or loved ones will or have been. So this is going to be the episode where you get to kind of lean into what it potentially is like to go through something like this and also what it could be like to be a support to somebody like this. So let me welcome Philippa Jackson. Hey, and I'm going to try not to do my sexy jazz voice. You have a sexy <laughs> jazz voice? I have a sexy voice? jazz voice. It's my podcast voice. Yeah. But it's like when you put a microphone in, me, in front of me, it might happen. So I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like pilots. I always wonder, like, do they do they encourage them to do that voice? Right? Like, and no, uh, we are flying uh, and we're at this <laughs> elevation. And, uh, and I'm like, is this like a calming thing that they found it in like psychiatry? Maybe. They're always so calm about it. Like They're we're so about calm. to go through some. Monotone, like about to go through some turbulence. We might yeah. die. Just sit still, keep your seatbelt <laughs> on. And okay, yeah. so you so, have a podcast voice. It might come in and out. I'm sorry. I do it sometimes on my Instagram stories. I have a, I have an Ooh. Instagram voice. Yeah. And my husband always calls me out on it. He's like, why did your tone just go up like an octave? Oh, yeah, you have to though. It's like, I don't know. Get people excited. I don't know. I'm like, it's so <laughs> weird. And then when I'm not like that, people are like, you seem moody. And I'm like, no, this is my normal <laughs> voice. Oh, no. <laughs> so no you have a jazz voice. I have a, I have a smooth jazz voice. And what is your accent? <laughs> I, I'm originally from Leeds, England. Oh, I moved here to Canada when I was 14. So it's kind of a mixture of a bunch of stuff. I got are you South African? Are you this and the other? Australian? No, I am from Leeds, Leeds. Yorkshire lass. 
oh, I've, I've never <laughs> been to England, but I've learned that everyone has a different accent yes. based on where they it are. It things exciting. I guess so. Yeah. Do you, can you, when you meet somebody on the street mm-hmm. that is from Britain, can you tell what area they're from? Yes and no. It depends. Like the like thick accents, like Liverpool, like Yorkshire, Manchester, London, you can tell. It's funny when you're talking about it, you just like bring it. It comes out a little more. Happens when I'm drunk. I hear it. (laughs) A lot of things happen when I'm drunk. A lot of parts of me come out that I'm not like physical parts. Just like I lose my filter when I drink. I'm like worse. I was telling my friend yesterday. I'm like, I have such a thing for like men's beards. And like, thankfully my husband knows this about me. Like he he knows I love a beard, but when I'm drunk, I touch them. I like go up to people's faces and I, and I touch their beards. And I'm like, I I don't even ask Philippa. Like I don't ask. I literally just go. Up and I touch their beards. I don't know what I don't know what it is about my drunk self that needs to know what they're You're like. Friendly, it's fine. But I do. I will say, like, if I am having a drinky night and I know there's like a ton of memes and stuff about this, the women in the women's bathroom. It's hilarious. It's the best thing ever. I'm like, why can't it's we hilarious. be like this all the time? Yeah. It's so lovely. It's so lovely. And then uh, the next day, you do not exist. You, of course, you don't. <laughs> but yeah, in those bathrooms, that's who I aspire to be every day as a drunk girl I like in a bathroom. That. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> okay. So I'm really excited for people to get to know you. If you have a second and you're on your phone, you can go and check out Philippa Jackson. It's F I L I P. Is that right? No, no. No, I already said it wrong. I-L-I-P-A. Okay. Jackson. Jackson. Go and look at her Instagram and you're going to see like the most stunning, gorgeous content, but she actually, you know, it's amazing. You're really great at what you do, (laughs) but you have this like whole other side to you and this whole other story. And that's kind of why you're here today. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm really excited for you to kind of tell it and for us to kind of dive into this entire world of fertility and whatnot. So I'm going to give you a chance to tell us your origin story. Tell us how this has all happened for you and how you you've gotten here today. Take all the time you want, like within the span of a podcast. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, girl. So basically our story started and by our, I mean my, and my husband, because he is a very much a big part of this. I couldn't be here today without him. I wouldn't be having this conversation without him being part of this story. It started basically a couple months after we got married. We were super, we're high school sweethearts. Oh, it being that's the two so of us. cute. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Oh, dang. Okay. Since 16. And we we're very much eager to start our family. Yeah. So it started like a couple of months after we got married. Uh, start off fun. <laughs> the deed was done a lot. Just all those practice rounds as they always yeah, joke right, about. Yeah, practice. yeah. And we didn't really think that anything was wrong until 12 months in of oh. trying. Yeah. Was it getting difficult at that point? Did you find that each month Definitely. was like, there's nothing I deal with worse than disappointment? Yeah. So yeah. I can imagine so what that must be that, like. My mom has explained this so well, is that my period would come each month mm-hmm. and I couldn't understand why I was feeling a certain way, why I was getting depressed and what right do I have to be sad? And the way she explained it is you're going through a mourning each month mm. and I have to give myself that chance to mourn this Ugh. loss, right? Yeah. Because, you know, after a while you start getting it into your head and you start symptom spotting and it's like, oh, I, I burped today. I must be pregnant. And so like when your period no, like literally every period, every period symptom is the same as pregnancy symptoms. Oh. I swear to goodness, yeah. which is, it really does matter with you. I've been on the other side where I'm just like hoping I'm not pregnant. Right. And then I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Yeah. And then it's legitimately my period. But 
I, I kind of love that you said that it's kind of like this morning because mm-hmm. my sister has six kids, but she wow. lost one in the middle. And she talked about like, uh, obviously everyone looks at them and say, oh, well, you have six kids. And she didn't deal with infertility. But in terms of like the morning part of it, she lost the baby very, very early on. Yeah. So it was almost like barely found out she was pregnant and she lost it. Mm-hmm. But she's like, it doesn't matter. Cause like from the moment you think it might be possible, yeah. you've named them, you've oh, decorated sure. a room, you've you started like, yeah, you've looked at what the due date might be. Yeah. You've timed it all out. And from what I've learned from a lot of people who've gone through infertility stories, is like, it's that same type of thing is you already manifest what it might look like every single month. And so there must be some sort of like this disappointment released every single time you get a period. Like, I mean, I normally feel that way when I get my period, but not to that degree. (laughs) I know. I know. It made the like pain of your periods so much worse. So much worse. But yeah, after 12 months, we sought the help of my family doctor, had the normal physical done. You're young. It's going to happen. I was 27, 28 at the time. So yeah, I was young. Just to hit the point, I'm getting a lot of questions now of like, I've been trying for three months and I'm not pregnant. Mm. Do not panic. I know it's very, very easy for me to say don't panic, but a doctor won't even see you until 12 months because okay. that is the normal range to try get pregnant naturally. Um, so 12 months went by, nothing happened. We were referred to a fertility specialist mm-hmm. who ran all the tests. <laughs> I had more blood work than I thought was possible. I didn't even know I had that much blood in my body. And oh, I am petrified of needles. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Not a good combo. Uh, I had a sonohistogram, which basically is they check to make sure your fallopian tubes are open and okay. there's no blockages in that. And my husband, Samir, had a sperm test done as well as blood work. Uh, We went in for the results and the fertility specialist said, "Okay, I'm going to start with the good news. Samir, you're an A plus student and everything looks great. Your count is awesome. Your mobility is great. Everything. You're you're perfect. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, no. Already pumping his tires. Now it comes to you. Yeah. Now it comes to me. Philippa, sonohistogram, your fallopian tubes are fine. But with your blood work, we did an MAMH test, which is an anti-Mullerian hormone, which basically, Ooh. I know, right? I'm like tongue-tied with all these words. Basically, it measures the hormone of your ovarian reserve. Okay. So we're, as women, we're all born with our eggs, what yes. we're going to have for the rest of our life. And mine were diminishing and decreasing a lot sooner than they were meant to. So, yeah. which is, I mean, this is the thing is too, mm-hmm. is it's crazy. No, I shouldn't say crazy, but you're in your twenties. Yeah. And I don't think that people anticipate infertility in their twenties. Oh no. And it must no. be to even be taken seriously yeah. in the space of infertility in your twenties must have already been such a hurdle. Oh, yeah. And then to learn that your body basically aged this one part of you faster and yeah. you're now exactly. racing and a like clock. It's like the most important part as well. So yeah. basically my AMH was 1.5 and that put me at the age grouping of 38 to 40. Oh, so so your clock is ticking. Donor eggs were thrown out there in our first meeting. Like, oh, like, wow. It might not even happen with your own. It was just, it was a horrific thing because as well, like I felt that I was holding Samir back and, you know, I was like, go for it. Like if you want, if you need to leave me, uh, leave me. And like, obviously like he didn't, he's still here, <laughs> but it was like, I felt like I was holding him yeah. back from something that he wanted to do yes. in his life, which I mean, I know I shouldn't, but that's just something that you're, you're going to You know what? It reminds me of, are you a Friends fan? Oh, yeah. Okay, like every good. day. 
But like when Chandler and Monica go through it and he suddenly starts seeking all of these people to be sperm donors because he just wants it for her so badly. And she's like, if it's not with you, then, you know, then we adopt. And, and that ends up being like their story. And I, I do love friends. Like I've had this pointed out before is that each woman actually had a non-traditional birth. There was one who was a single mom with Rachel. We had Phoebe who was a surrogate with the, with the triplets. And then we had Monica who adopted. And I find that like, we didn't even realize how groundbreaking that was. And that was probably one of the first real televised versions of an infertility story for a younger couple. Exactly. And it was, I mean, it really opened, I think, a lot of eyes to what that might look like, but it's so simplified in such a comedic way. How was Next Steps for you? How did it feel like that devastation Mm -hmm. and going through that with your husband? I can't even imagine. Yeah. But like Next Steps, how did you journey through that? I think that the fact that my AMH was low and I had a time clock put on me pushed me to do my fertility treatments. To be honest, like we were kind of like, oh, we'll just try naturally. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. This isn't something that we had spoken about verbally to like anyone else in our life. No. And and that's the thing is that not everybody is going to go through fertility the same way. Some people like to talk about it. For yes. us, we kept it very close. Yes. Uh, and I think like the only person that knew was my mom, but it did give me the push to start the next thing, mm-hmm. which was, and it sounds super sexy, medicated timed intercourse. <laughs> Medicated? Hold on. Yeah. How is it medicated? So basically you're put on pills and okay. injections and this, that, and the other. Your cycle is monitored. And by monitoring your cycle, it means you're getting blood work and ultrasounds okay. done to track your ovulation. Okay. And then the doctor tells you when to have sex. Wow. Romantic. <laughs> right? All went out the window. <laughs> I bet. Did it feel very like scientific and yes. very like yeah. And yeah. It's like transactional only, yeah, almost, transactional. right? And because there's only certain times you can actually even have sex. Like it's like, oh, you can't be like you can't be in the mood because oh. you don't want to use up. You that can't stuff. so you can't have sex on the non-prescribed times? Well, you can, but like you need enough time. Mm. they tell you when to do it to just get rid of stuff and then they tell you when to do it this is a mood killer it's really (laughs) oh my gosh that year of fun went down the drain real yeah seriously (laughs) oh my goodness yeah so we did three cycles of that and cycles mean months yeah Um, it didn't work obviously so the next logical step for us to do was IUI which is interuterine insemination so that's when they take the sperm and they inject it, yes. right? Yes. So okay. it's injected right into your uterus. Okay. So like if you have anything like issues with like count or mobility and that kind of stuff or mm-hmm. like cervical tubes yep. and that kind of stuff, it's kind of like- It kind of bypasses that. Bypass all that. So we had a high chance of that working yeah. because with low AMH, it's not the be all end all, mm-hmm. which I learned- later on. I mean, this doctor made me feel like it was the be all end all, but it isn't. So technically this should have worked. We did five. Oh my gosh. (gasps) Yeah. It was intense. It was intense. And I've went to some really dark places uh, within myself that, do you know what, to be honest now, I'm kind of grateful for them because I've learned who I am a lot more because I wouldn't have gone to those spaces without this. And I've learned to appreciate myself a lot more now, but at the time it was awful. It was really, really awful. I so appreciate that you said that because this has been one of my mantras just in the last few years, especially I think in this life, we tend to seek good things and we tend to seek these milestones that will change us forever and are so positively beneficial. And Mm -hmm. that's all we want to seek. And we forget the importance and 
how impactful it can be to actually cherish the dark times and how amazing it can be when you channel that into something productive in your storyline and in your life, because yes, you're going through some of the hardest parts Mm -hmm. of your life, but you wouldn't be who you are now. You wouldn't have the appreciation of what you have now without kind of going through those types of things. Again, wouldn't wish on anybody. I have this, I hate this whole, I've talked about it before, but that whole, everything happens for a reason and, and it's meant to be like so pacifying, but it's like, I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I believe that good can come out of everything. Yeah. There's a silver lining to everything. Yes. There so can be. So I can't imagine that now you're at 12 months of naturally trying. You're at eight months of now medically aided trying. Yeah. And it takes a toll on your body. It takes a massive toll on your body. And then at the same time, you know, all your friends are getting pregnant and there's like the the whoopsie babies or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call them. Or you've got your friends saying, you know, we've been struggling. We were trying for like four months and now they're pregnant. And it just seems like everyone and their dog is pregnant. And you notice it now, of course, too. I notice everything. TV shows, everyone's pregnant in the TV shows and like at the mail. and, And then you've got everyone else telling you, just go on holiday it'll happen. Like, just go relax. It'll happen. And like, I'm a travel blogger. I go on holidays a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it never happened. It didn't happen. Yeah. So, you know, some things work for some people and some mm-hmm. don't work for other people. Yeah. And what happened with me, you know, worked. For, I know someone that got pregnant with IUI. So yeah. it does work. Yeah. It's just every story is different. And we thought that we had the answer to our problem. And the answer being that I had low AMH. But when the conversation came to us with our IVF doctor, mm-hmm. who is based in Toronto, so we had to switch fertility clinics because our clinic doesn't deal with IVF. Okay. We had another round of tests done. So same thing, the crap ton of blood work, the sonohistogram. Samir had a sperm test. It's like a full-time job. Like, honestly, it's when you're being monitored. I don't know if every clinic's the same, but with the clinic that I was at, we had to be monitored at the hospital. And you had to, (laughs) basically the women would race to get there first. So I would go at 5 a.m. and put my name on this list. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Until it opened at 7:30. Go for my ultrasound. And it's like, it's just a filtering of women. It's mm-hmm. like new hope. And then like past people. And that's even hard because yeah. you're just watching this like yeah. all these people going past and you become the only oldie and all these people are newbies and, and yeah. that's you're you're seasoned in this seasoned. these places at this yeah. point. And I become the person that like oh, what did you go through? And oh, I'm doing this. And so I was the person where everyone was asking me questions in the waiting room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like trying to give them hope while I'm just dying. Feeling but, hopeless, yeah. yeah. It definitely is a full-time job. And I'm very, very lucky that my husband works with me and was able to be there with me. Yes. Because to be honest, we were pretty much the only couples in the waiting room. Really? Yeah. Because- I mean, realistically, it must be hard for yeah. both parties to get time off exactly. and to be there together. But it's like one of the most vulnerable and scary it's times so, of like your life. Exactly. And, yeah. and and that's the thing, like, and my husband asked me to say this, actually, if as a partner, you can be there, mm. be there because you get to the appointments, to the ultrasounds, even though you're not allowed in the ultrasound, you get to hold your partner's hand as well as you get an understanding of what they're going through as well. Because it's very easy for me to come home and go, today was awful, this, this, this happened. But 
for you to actually see it is another story. I can't agree enough. I think what's happened for a lot of people, we've normalized infertility is just like, oh, that's just something a lot of people go through. But realistically, it's it's a trauma. You're going through a very elongated trauma that is like emotionally so taxing. Your body is emotionally so drained. Mm -hmm. And it's like going through that and then asking to do it alone. And and I realize that not everybody has the privilege to kind of do it together. I love that your husband kind of made that note of how important that probably was for his journey in it too, it was right? Too. Yeah, because he wouldn't have had an understanding. Yeah. And do you know what? We probably wouldn't be at the point where we are right now yeah. if he didn't ask questions too. Right. Because you get into this room and there's doctors there and a lot of us, like even without fertility, we take a lot of doctors' words for gold <laughs> and we don't question I've learned it this. <laughs> I've right? learned it. Yeah. And I did, We're intimidated. Right? We just, you, yeah. you take everybody for what they say and you don't, you exactly. don't question it. No. That was my entire first birth experience was like just taking everything for what they say said and never pushing back. And my birth story wasn't fantastic because of that. Right. right. So yeah. Yeah. Important to say. And then you forget things and you don't want to, and then you got to call. And so he was kind of that source of like, hang on a minute which was important for me. So important, especially when you're overwhelmed already and emotional already. Like, I can't even imagine. Hi friends, I'm just gonna pause for a quick second to talk to you about one of today's sponsors, Four Sigmatic. So I actually heard about Four Sigmatic from none other than my own mother who had heard about it herself and brought over a box for me. And I kind of ignored it for a little while until one day I ran out of my regular coffee and was in a bind and I had to make some. So I pulled out the Four Sigmatic. It's really easy because they come in these individual pouches and you just put it into hot water. It's a powder, so you just mix it and drink. And let me tell you, I know what you're thinking. It's going to taste like mushrooms because it's a mushroom coffee, but it doesn't at all. It tastes like regular coffee. It's sugar-free, it's paleo, it's vegan. It's completely good for you. And it contains some really cool ingredients like lion's mane mushrooms, which have long been used by Buddhist monks to help with focus and meditation, as well as chaga, known as the king of mushrooms, supporting your immune system and has antioxidant properties. Four Sigmatic Coffee also has half the caffeine of regular coffee. So it's really, truly magical. And it also means you don't walk away having those same jittery aftershocks that you do from your normal cup of coffee. And it's a little bit easier on your gut as well. Since they come in easy to use packets, you can take them anywhere. Stash them in your gym bag, your suitcase, wherever you need them to be. And of course, I have a special offer for each of you my papaya podcast listeners, you're going to receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order when you go to foursigmatic.com slash papaya and enter the code papaya at checkout. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash papaya to receive 15% off your order or just use the code papaya at checkout. Now let's get back to the show. So walk me through this. Now you're going through IVF. Can you explain what is the process of IVF? Because I've watched family members and friends go through it, but I I don't think people fully realize Mm -hmm. how huge it is. It's massive. Well, for us, like I said, we thought we actually had the answer to our problems and our story. This IVF doctor decided to redo the test. He needed an updated test, right? So my test came back the same. AMH, 1.5. Yep. On our histogram, your fallopian tubes are clear. Now they've taken a deeper look at Samir's sperm and they've dissected it. Yeah. Whoa. It's intense. 
It's called a DNA fragmentation test, and it costs about three hundred dollars, oh, which is not like, as bad as I thought. It's compared to the nothing in comparison to how much we've spent so far. Yeah, it's peanuts. Basically, what it said was what it came back as, or how he explained it, is that the sperm and the egg are meeting. We know that because we've done IUIs. But what's happening is the sperm isn't losing its helmet or its protective head to show a drill. And that drill is what's needed to get through the hard surface of the egg to then fertilize it. So, oh, so Samir and all of his, like, your sperm is golden, your sperm you're is a, golden. a plus. It's like, no, you're B minus, oh, basically. Yeah, like lower. And well, you know what? Was, There's a part of me that's like, well, at least yeah. you're in it together now. <laughs> now we're in it together. You're both a little flawed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It made me feel Equalized. better, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it did actually you could admit that. <laughs> I'm like, see, see how it feels now, Samir? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love. But I think what like from this test has like, this is what spurred me to talk about this is that it frustrated the heck out of me because this test is only given by IVF doctors and only given by IVF doctors that want the test done. Mm. This test should have been done at the start. It should have. It It would have saved you a year and a lot of money. A ton of money, a ton of pain, a ton of heartbreak. And IUIs would have never worked. Medicated, timed intercourse would have never worked. And the only thing that was going to work for us is IVF with a combination of ICSI. Okay. What IVF is, is basically the sperm and the, and the yep. egg are put in a petri dish, right? And monitored. With ICSI, the sperm is placed directly into the egg. Oh. So they physically do it. So Samir's helmets or whatever on his sperm, it doesn't matter because they're putting it in there for you. Okay. I was actually at Trio Fertility Clinic in Toronto, and that's the only thing they do. They only do ICSI, which is great. I've never even heard of this. No, I've never heard of it either, but it's fabulous. Yeah. Because it's now you don't have to worry about, you know, putting it in the Petri dish because you can't go back in time. Once you've already put yes. the sperm in, now you can't inject it. Yes. You have to just inject it from the start. I don't know why... Does all clinics don't just do this? Yeah. Um, I mean, it just makes me think with the DNA fragmentation test, how many people have just given up and been just left with undiagnosed infertility? Because yes. thankfully, Samir and I have the funds and means to go through IVF, mm-hmm. but people that don't are just left there, right? Yes. Not to mention the fact that at this point, you've already spent so much money on yeah. unsuccessful things and had this originally test been done, like you said, it would have prevented a lot. And and I think that's what's kind of bothering me here is that there are so many people when they don't have the means, they yeah. tried as far as they could financially, responsibly, mm-hmm. or potentially even emotionally and physically, and they have their stop point and yeah. not everyone gets to explore those further things. So I think what's interesting about your story is the fact that some of these things could have been done yeah. so much earlier on. For sure. And to be honest, like we started this whole thing with me being, and I don't know why I was like this. I kind of always just like felt like I would just, I, I'm never doing IVF. Like I'm just not that person. If mm-hmm. it gets to that point, we're not going to do it. But like now knowing that like it's not going to happen <laughs> without yeah. IVF, with now having that test that kind of pushed us. Yes. And government funding was available. Mm-hmm. Canada, I feel like it should be better, but yeah. it does offer government funding. The waiting list is six months to a year, I okay. believe. Me being very controlling and impatient. <laughs> you just went for it. I just went for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, There's no waiting. Now, <laughs> a question though, if you were somebody who was coming into this and you decided not to wait for the government grants and stuff, could you ask for the level of of IVF that you had. It was called Ipsy. Ixy. Ixy. I see. Ipsy is like a shopping site. Wow. 
now. (laughs) Could you ask for that early on because you are paying out of pocket or is there still processes that have to happen before they'll even entertain that for you? Yes. So as far as I believe, you can't just go from like your family doctor to IVF unless you've like lost your fallopian tubes Mm. or something like that has happened or unless you've already frozen your eggs or your sperm. Okay. That's a different situation. But like coming into it as me, I couldn't skip and pass. So you had to go through these, you had had to to go through this 12 months of trying and this eight months of IUI and medicated sex, whatever it was. If they had done the test from the start, maybe a little different. Because they would have proven, but they need to prove that you can get like pregnant through those Right, others. okay. I think when it gets to IUI, IVF, you get the choice to go yes. either route. I mean, IVF is a small fortune. So small most fortune. I know I'm going to ask you about that in a little <sighs> bit because I want you to continue on because yes. we are like a couple years into the story now. Yeah, we are. What happened next? We're getting closer. We're getting we closer. Are. The great thing with IVF is they start it with a therapy session. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love hearing that. Yeah. And it's Finally, couple, they're right? looking at it's medical so things and some emotional <laughs> stuff at the same freaking time. Right. And it's a couple therapy session. You can do it in person or you can do it via Skype. We were okay. actually in Mexico at the time. So we did it via Skype. Somehow, some way we were signed off as sane enough to go through IVF. Okay. <laughs> so uh, she's. I mean, at this off. point, I don't know how you're doing it because it's like, I mean, <laughs> congrats, who knows? You're managing. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the thing is like when you're on Instagram, right? And that's, that's your job on, on my Insta stories. I have to have this persona and then I turn it off when I'm crying. Yeah. So I think I was able to sway her. So that's kind of sway something her. important to mention to you. You were actually very private about it, even with your online social presence. Oh, yeah, they had no clue. You had no, they my had, friends no had no clue. Wow. It wasn't until I started IVF, meaning I was starting my medications, which start off with birth control, which is the worst thing because- that's the one feels thing you very don't want. opposite. <laughs> yeah. But basically birth control helps them take over your cycle. Okay. So now they're in control. And it wasn't until I started that and I knew that I was gonna blow and I was gonna be a completely different person that I told my best friend. And I was like, hey, this is what's going on. And she was super understanding, which I didn't think she would be. I thought she'd be upset with me that I yeah. hadn't opened up, but she was super understanding that, you know, this is what worked for us. But yeah, going back to I like to ramble, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> I'm such a rambler, so it's okay. <laughs> Uh, But going back to what happens is once you are done, your birth control and your cycle is in their hands. Uh, You start your medications, which are all injections and intense injections. And I've watched people do them there. It's I didn't do my own. I couldn't. My husband did them all. And like, you don't actually think as well the toll that it takes on them to stick a needle in your stomach. Yeah. It's like cry after sometimes because it's just so intense. It's like, he doesn't want to hurt me. So anyway, we like Queen is my favorite band. We were blast Queen and like get ourselves riled up. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And ready for these injections. And at points I was taking four injections to the abdomen uh, a time. My stomach was just bruised. Yeah. Um, It was pretty intense. It was like close to a month. It was a trigger shot night. You're given this gold box. Yeah. (laughs) It's like your golden ticket. Yeah. So the trigger is what kind of releases the eggs, right? Yeah. So the trigger is, yeah, basically what prompts, what prompts the ovulation. So we're given that and then we were scheduled for our retrieval, which went fine. It is quite a process though. (sighs) Oh yeah. Like it is, it is a medical procedure. Oh yeah. And it's painful. Yeah. I was given, I was out of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was feeling good. 
Yeah, I know. I had a friend who went through it and she messaged me like a selfie afterwards. Like, oh, and yeah. she was high as a kite. And I was like, oh my gosh, it You're was feeling so, great. She, yeah, it was quite the thing. So how did the retraction go? So it went well, like the procedure itself was actually really quick and easy. Mm-hmm. My fertility doctor actually didn't do it, but they have other doctors okay. that, that did it. The thing that got me was that the amount of money that you spend on IVF treatments and you would think that you would have some sort of privacy, but instead you have a curtain around you in the waiting room. And so there's me and then there's a woman next to me and then what? A, a woman. Yeah. So there's five curtained off rooms. So the doctor then comes in and tells each person how many eggs were retrieved. And so I'm hearing. So you have to hear it. Yeah. So I'm hearing 18, 25, 30. And then they get to me and they retrieve five. And I was devastated. Like five is still, but I was devastated. Yeah. But five just lowers your numbers and your odds. So it's going to be harder because that doesn't guarantee that all of those are going to get fertilized. It just means a a much lower chance than somebody who has maybe gotten 25. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought that was the most devastating thing I would hear. Nothing like feeling like a failure when they literally put you like against, like it's, it's kind of pitting you against each other. The worst thing ever. <sighs> it's literally Where's the, the therapist now? Send them in. Right? Oh my, my gosh. Seriously. And they're not about it either. Like, yeah, you got five. Like, shh. Yeah, please story. don't. I'm, I'm against four others right now. Like, <laughs> <Exactly>. please. <laughs> I'm coming out the worst right now. And you have to laugh about it, really. You just really? You have to. But it, I thought that was the worst thing that was going to happen. And it wasn't until the next day. So each day now they call you. With uh, our IVF clinic, they wait five days and monitor your um, yeah. ex for five days to get to the blastocyst stage, which is 100 cells, an embryo with 100 cells. I know some clinics wait just three days and they don't wait for a hundred cells, but there's a higher chance if, if you wait and you incubate them for five days. So each day they were going to call me and give me an update, which I was like, great at the time. And then it's like 24 hours each time. And it's the longest wait of your life. life, Yeah. So the next day they call and out of the five, one was not mature. Okay. Um, so it's gone right away and two didn't make it overnight. Oh, so now I'm down to two. Oh my gosh. It was awful. It was awful. My odds had gone down. I'm down to two. And what is the most that normally gets implanted? Do you know? My clinic only does one. I know okay. people can get two. I know with the Octomom. I think I was going to say, I was thinking about Octomom. She got way too many. <laughs> she did. But you know what? It's funny how much she was harassed online. And like, I totally get it. The clinic should never have done that. But mm-hmm. now I understand having heard her story, she had six. Yeah. And she wanted to give them a fighting chance. She yeah. didn't really, she was at the end of like her story. She was like, I just throw them in one of them will maybe stick and I'll have another baby. And all of them did. And then two of them multiplied and it became eight. So a little unethical on the fertility side, but I understand the psyche of a mom who loves children to be like, no, just, I want all of my babies to have this chance. If she believed that that is like life in that tray, then Mm -hmm. I can understand that that would be how it kind of mentally went that way. So I always thought that they implanted at least a few. So that's what I thought. And that's what I wanted. And Mm -hmm. that's what I had pushed for. What the doctor explained to me is it doesn't actually do any good implanting Mm -hmm. more than one because they end up fighting against each other. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So right from, right from the tray, they do it. They're like (laughs) bickering siblings. siblings. So right off the bat, like if they're implanted, one is going to try to take more nutrients the other because they're trying to survive. So uh, survival of of the fittest, right? So that's why they only do one because that gives that one the biggest, the biggest chance. chance. What my doctor as well does is a matrix test. So day three of your day five weight comes around and 
Matrix test is kind of a controversial test because there isn't enough science behind it, but it's something that I was told I had to do, which is lots of things you're told you yes. have to do. And basically what it does is an ultrasound that is calculating your lining for the optimum time, whatever, to implant uh, the egg back into your uterus. Okay. These results are sent off somewhere in Alberta and they All right. Okay, cool. Who knows? So I got a call on day four and I was told that the transfer that I was meant to be having on day six is going to be canceled. Why? Yeah, why? I'm like making a face. I'm like, no, <laughs> why? No clue. My doctor's going to call me the next day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so here, wait 24 hours. And I was just an absolute mess. Um, the next day came and my doctor called and basically my matrix test. So it was multiple things. My matrix test came back and I was half a point shy of the optimum measurement. So my half a point ruled out me getting it implanted, which is in my eyes is kind of silly but anyway. <sighs> yeah. But the biggest thing was that my embryos hadn't made it to a hundred cells yet. They were at 90 and this was day five. They were going to give them one more day to day six to get mm-hmm. to a hundred cells. And if they didn't make it, they were going to yeah. be destroyed, I guess. I don't want to use trigger words, but basically that's, that's what it is. Yeah. Probably the worst thing that I could have ever heard <laughs> because after all that, after all those years, I was literally waiting on 24 hours for my embryos to make it. Yeah. They made it. <laughs> both goodness. of them? They both made <gasps> oh it. Oh my gosh. So like that day was, the day before was literally me a heap on the floor I bet. and my dog and my husband cuddling me on the floor. It was awful, but they've made it. And uh, now we would have to start an FET, which is a frozen embryo transfer. Because now they're saying it's not okay for you to implant. Your uterus is not ready. Exactly. How long is this next wait going to be? Five weeks. Oh, that's not so bad. Oh, it is. (laughs) I like your optimism. (laughs) You're like, Uh, fuck (laughs) you. It was five weeks. (laughs) I went on two holidays during those five weeks. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh I guess I was like in my head I'm thinking it's gonna be like months like they're gonna give like yeah. another okay five no. weeks all right five weeks which yeah when, when I think about it now it wasn't too bad but when you're so desperate when you're like, like I just want it tomorrow and you had it in your head it was gonna be the next day so yeah. when it's not the next day and it's five weeks yeah okay yeah yeah I get it I'm with you <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it was gonna be five weeks it was gonna be five weeks of birth control again okay to take over my cycle and uh injections not as in intense as okay. previous injections, but injections nonetheless in my abdomen. And now we're going to introduce an injection into your back, which is progesterone and oil to help like thicken your lining and all okay. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Had the matrix test done and I was good to go. Uh, Gosh, like, honestly, I, I was like, I went up half a point. That was it. Yeah. I was just on yeah. the dot. You were but there. They were fine. And it was transfer day. And you would think that with it being the most important day of my life, we would have set every alarm possible. <laughs> what are you about to say? <laughs> so we nearly missed our transfer. You're kidding. <laughs> For oh some reason, my gosh. we had it in our head. We would have to leave at 11.45 and we really needed to leave at 10.45. Okay. And it got, we left 45 minutes before our transfer and we live an hour and a half away. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Literally. I wish there was a film of this. Right? <laughs> 
So I thought it was like a reality show. I had to spice oh it up a little bit. Seriously. It wasn't dramatic enough. Yeah, your life at this point is so boring. <laughs> let's just throw in that we're going to miss the most important day of our yeah, lives. let's do it. So, cool. And then, then that's the thing, right? The, like they've defrosted my egg. There's no freezing it again. So I'm crying and we're racing. And anyway, we make it. I just had to throw that bit of drama in there because I think it's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> I literally was like, are you about to say what I think you're going to say? You made it. I made it. I made it. And I am spread eagle yeah. <laughs> in my chair. And the doctor tells me that out of the one that they had defrosted the night before hadn't made it. Oh, I was no. that 3% where it didn't make it. So this is my last embryo. This is it. This is the golden ticket. And I didn't even get like even a chance or I didn't even get a beat to even think about that embryo being gone until recently, actually. But the crazy thing is I'm very much all about signs. Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is, is as we were getting this embryo implanted, there was a radio playing and Queen came on. Oh, fuck. I'm going to (laughs) cry. Are you serious? Yeah. My favorite Bohemian Rhapsody Queen came on at the exact moment it was being released into me. And oh, that's magical. Samira and I just looked at each other and we were like, okay, you knew. I got a good feeling about this. Yeah. And I'm glad I do because I am now 26 weeks pregnant with my baby girl. Oh my goodness. <sighs> you should name her Queen. <laughs> just throwing it in. Just it. like naming your children. <laughs> Sarah said it's fine. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah. So really long story to get to her. And, yes. You know, I don't think at the first, even the first trimester was still scariest thing I've ever done. And I was going to say, I, I wonder, I remember when I first got pregnant, it was, you're going to hate this. It was a total surprise, but I don't hate it. No, but it, it's, they're all miracles. I, Let's call them that. Um, I realized that motherhood started from the moment that you knew. And it was like, I kept waiting for it to stop. I kept waiting for the fear to go away because everyone's like, once you're at 12 weeks, you're in the safe zone. And then you get to 15 weeks. And I was four months along when somebody else I knew that was pregnant at the same timeline Mm -hmm. or five months long, sorry, delivered a stillborn. And then it was like, it just didn't end. And then I went through finally give birth. And then it was like, I would sleep on the floor beside her crib. Cause I yeah. thought SIDS was going to happen every night. I had one of those monitors that would stop them from doing that. And you know what? She's 13 now. And I still, still. fall asleep with like this worry and this yeah. like, is she okay? And Great. like, did something happen? <laughs> like when you wake up for the first time and your baby slept through the night, you don't think, Oh gosh, thank goodness. I got this good night of sleep. You think, Oh gosh, they died. Like it's, oh, it never, it, I'm, okay. I'm saying this. Like, you haven't even had a kid my yet. My eyes are getting wide right now. <laughs> because it's, but I think it's so important because like yeah. you are a mother from the moment that you have that baby in you. Yeah. Like, and I was, honestly, for me, I, I was a mother as soon as they were taken out yes. and they become embryos. Yes. Like I have, you know, four babies in, in heaven right yes. now. Like they're valid. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable to hear it go all the way down and now see you be like this cute little pregnant human, <laughs> little bump. but to know the story behind it and this. This is why I think it's so important that fertility is discussed with such delicacy as well, because I think that Mm -hmm. it's so easy for people to be like, well, at least all this good came out of it. Like you've still gone through trauma. You've still gone through these like years of stuff. And like, yes, you have this outcome. But I think what people forget so much is we go through our entire lives, like trying to prevent pregnancy, being so scared of it happening. And then suddenly you don't even have the right or the ability to have a child. 
in the same way that everybody else walks around with this like common privilege. And yeah, there are people who have these like surprise babies and that it's not invalid for them to like struggle with that. It's not Mm -hmm. invalid to have those feelings too, but it is this constant dance between grief and joy that kind of come together. And it's, it can be really hard. I think as a woman, when you feel like your body is actually fighting against your hopes and dreams. Exactly. How has your relationship with your body changed throughout this entire process? Like you said, I went through joy and pain. Like I hated my body. Yeah. And now I'm obsessed with my body. I've never felt sexier. I've never felt better about myself. Yes. It really is interesting because like I went through a really like, I hated myself. Yeah. Like fully and honestly hated myself. And I think what's made me appreciate it is the support of my husband. Yes. Definitely. That's awesome. He never stopped like thinking I was sexy or any yeah. of that. Like, there's up. so much change. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. so much change, right? And you guys fought so hard for this. Was pregnancy, yeah. has it been easy for you? I started off with a subcranic hemorrhage, so it didn't start off easy. What um, is that? So basically I had a hemorrhage, so I bled. Oh, so, so that's got to be the scariest day of your life. I still check my tissue every time I go to the bathroom. Yeah. Like that's never going to end. But other than that, you know, it's been easy. I think I had the hard stuff before. Don't hate yeah, anybody. No. No, no. It's like, I, yeah, everyone has such different, I feel the same way about like people when they tell their like birth stories. I went to my sister's like first birth. She had like one stitch and I was like, what? Really? Like I was so mad. (laughs) Like, how is this happening? Why did this happen to me? But in time you find the people where you connect those stories. And I think that it's in terms of like postpartum and stuff like that, which is where a lot of people have kind of connected me with. I was, I felt so alone in it. And I think that that's, what's so beautiful about social media now is like, Mm -hmm. you might not have somebody in your relational world that's going to ever understand what you're going through. But now you have this opportunity to connect with people that are, and they might be on the other side of the world. And you get to have these conversations and these commonalities and this bond over kind of trauma. Like they talk about trauma bonding, Mm -hmm. but you can kind of journey through these things together. And, and I think that it's important for some people to understand that you're not going to be their person and their support when Mm -hmm. they're going through something. Like if you you know what? It might be hard for you to see somebody else getting pregnant, even if it was like your best friend that yeah. it's, it could oh, still yeah. be a really triggering thing when you're going through trauma to witness somebody yeah. else getting pregnant. What would you say is your key takeaways for people when it comes to being delicate around infertility and talking right. about pregnancy and things like that? What were kind of like some of the hard things that you experienced and some of the things you felt that were really great during like this whole journey for you? Cause I know you're really private about it, but yeah. now kind of coming through it, you must have like I this mean, yeah, perspective. I, I definitely wish I had spoken to people about it before. Mm. I wasn't aware that people were talking about it yeah. on social media before because I kind of just closed my eyes to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have some of the most incredible friends, like you said, around the world who all have similar stories. They're still going through IVF right. treatments or they have their kids and they're going through second rounds and stuff like that. So I do wish that I had communicated about it before. It just didn't work out for me. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, you know, each person's going to go through things differently mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. It, 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 there's no wrong or right way. So if you want to be private about it, that's yeah. fine. And that works for you. That worked for me and Samira. That's fine. If you want to be vocal, then that's fine. But I think the biggest takeaway that I can get from this, or maybe this is my silver lining, is the closeness now that I have to not only Samira, but my family mm. as well, is that having those hard conversations with each other. And, and Samira see me at like my worst. Yeah. And like my worst, where our relationship is so much stronger now. Yes. So allowing each other to be vulnerable in front of each other was the most important thing that we could have done. Did he struggle showing his emotion while also being a support to you? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is that 
it upset me because I kind of wanted him and, and I like, obviously like he's different to me. I kind of wanted him to cry when he got his diagnosis, mm. but he was still trying to remain super strong for me yeah. and hold my hand through it. Yeah. And it's now that like things are okay that I think he's like starting to like appreciate those feelings that he went through and validate them Yeah, because men don't talk about it and, and men, men don't. are very private. And, and they're not on social media the same way as no. women are and they maybe don't share in those same things. Do you find that, has he explored the idea of potentially talking and being a support to men? So he has. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I he's, love this guy. He's written three blog posts. Wow. About his side of things. Yeah. And they've had a really great response actually actually, not only just from men, but from women, because now they understand what their husbands are going through. hundred percent. Because their husbands aren't talking about it. So no, that's so, yeah. My husband's like the worst when it comes to like anything I'm ever going through. Cause he Mm -hmm. just like, he almost like just bonds to whatever I'm feeling. So if I'm stressed, he's stressed. And if I'm, if I'm upset, he's upset. So it can be really difficult to understand what, what are you going through? Like it can't just be what I'm going through. Like, what is this? And, and men are just like these secret, they're enigmas is what they are. They're enigmas. It's so hard to understand what it is that they're going through and fully grasp their emotions because they're not trying translated the same way as women are. They're not. And like, that's the thing, like now reading his blog posts, I'm starting to see what he was actually going through and how he was feeling because as much as he tried to like, let me in. Mm-hmm. He, like I said, he was trying to be a support system for yeah. me. So it's been really emotional, even just reading his stories. I bet. Oh my I'm gosh. Like, I need to read them. Do. I'll link them in the show notes for this because Amazing. I'm so impressed with that actually. Yeah. I'm really impressed with him. To be honest, I'm really, really impressed with him because he could have just stayed quiet. He could have, um, you know, at the end of the day, it was an issue with a sperm as well. And men don't have issues with yeah. that stuff and, and rub some dirt in it. But <laughs> he's being very honest about it. So yeah. it, it's, really it really is a breath of fresh air and so, so thank you Samir yeah Samir you're like such a champ I'm such a fan now um <laughs> I will follow you later <laughs> tell me now as we're kind of coming to this close you have been this fashion and travel influencer who kind of has this it appears so perfect and this is your kind of story behind mm-hmm. it how is that starting to poke through? Are you are you continuing to share? Obviously, you're on the podcast now, so you are sharing. sharing. This is an intense. It's an intense story, and yeah. I think that it's one that a lot of people aren't fully aware of what's going on because a lot of people are being private about it. Yeah. Um, financially, this has been, I'm guessing, pretty gutting. Oh yeah. How has it been being a social media, I don't know, person, influencer, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. having gone through this, have you felt that it has been a welcoming space for you? Yes. Okay. And I was really, really, really scared. Our whole goal of telling our story is for this story to reach one person. Thankfully it's reached a lot more than that. And I thank all the people that have actually contacted me and and reached out for for conversations because I do want to hold your hand through this, but it's also been incredibly therapeutic for me and to talk about it because these are feelings and emotions that we have held in for three years. Yeah. When you put it like that, three years of this constant emotional, physical trauma. And now it's nice to move into this pregnancy Mm-hmm. releasing some of that pain and some of yeah. that energy. The space has been so incredible. Good. I've met women who are writing books for children about infertility. Oh, and I love just it. these amazing people. And even people that aren't going through things are coming and telling me thank you because I didn't know. And now I know yeah. how to talk to people. Because a lot of the time it's like, 
when are you going to have kids? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? You got to kind of change your vocab a little bit. Yeah. I'm sitting here and I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I'm sorry. Cause I just, you said about writing a child's book. I just kind of hit me like your mm-hmm. daughter one day is going to know yeah. this story and she's going to know how hard you fought for her. And like, gosh, that's like, it's her story. My kids mm-hmm. get to hear about how they were accidents and like, that's okay too. They were so meant to be at the time they were meant to be. Yeah, and your daughter was so meant to be at the time that she is meant to be. But the fact that there's so much fight for mm-hmm. her and the fact that you two together fought so hard and, and to understand still that this remains this blessing and this privilege that not everybody gets this ending. Yeah. And this is like the hope and the dream that you poured so much into. And yeah. you got your little girl. I got my little girl. She's kicking me right now. Is she really? She oh my gosh. <laughs> She's like, I'm right here. Stop <laughs> talking about me. <laughs> Okay. This is truly only the beginning of your story because this is going to go into so much more. You are having a baby in January. By the time that people listen to this, I don't know how many weeks pregnant you're going to be, but I am so excited for people to kind of connect and see that and watch. I want people to watch this and I want people to understand that even this like seemingly perfect human on Instagram with her adorable husband and pregnant belly, (laughs) what goes on behind all that? What's going on behind all of these? And you never know. You never know. And I think that I'm so grateful for you because this is not an easy story to tell and is not a simple story to tell. And this is something that I think we all for many of us need to hear because I have never experienced this mm-hmm. for those I know who have experienced it have been private enough that I wouldn't ever have yeah. known how deep and how dark it can really go. Yeah. So I appreciate you for your vulnerability with this. Thank and you. I'm so excited for you and all your bodily changes and everything that's going to go on in the next little while. <laughs> Please just send us off with where we can find you and how best to connect with you. Oh, you're so sweet. And thank you so much for allowing me to talk about my yeah. story. It's really important for me to be able to, because like you said, you never know who is, is struggling. Exactly. And, and um, I think it must be so common that people kind of like shut you up the second you've gotten through it. Like you've gotten your baby, your story's over, but... Like you said, this is a three years of yeah, unpacking. And, and by far, like, I'm not going to say my story is the worst story because it's Mm-mm, not. And yeah. it's always, unfortunately, someone going through something worse than you. But I just want you to know that you're not alone. And that's yeah. why I think I want to talk about it. And why I have talked about it is to just kind of normalize it. Yeah. Because it's still somewhat of a taboo. Like you said, you feel inferior as a woman and all that kind of stuff. And we need to normalize it because through this, I've found just how many people are struggling yeah. and struggling in different ways, but yeah. struggling nonetheless. So if you do want to talk to me, I am here for you. And you can find me at Philippa Jackson on Instagram. That's F-I-L-I-P-A last name Jackson. I think we should all know how to spell that. J-A-C-K-S-O-N. Or playingwithapparel.com. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for everyone to kind of dive into this. Please share this. Share it with your friends and kind of help them understand that they're not alone either. If you know somebody who's struggling with a fertility story themselves and they maybe just need this spark of hope or to understand that they're not alone, this is the episode to share with them. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the papaya podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.